Welcome back to Air Quality Matters and part two of my conversation with Priyanka Kolshreta. What was the impact of COVID in India generally on on air quality awareness and the importance of indoor environments uh, to mitigating risk? Did it raise some awareness in the short term there like it did in other areas or how was it generally taken and, and has it been overall a benefit to, to kind of air quality awareness in general? Uh, COVID did put the spotlight on indoor air quality or indoor air pollution because earlier uh, when COVID happened, it we were just seeing it in a silo as a virus. Then a lot of researchers, uh, my fellow researchers, uh, Professor Prashant Kumar, he's from Surrey. So he was also one of those good uh, scientists who helped us identify that it is not just the virus who's going around in silos. If the level of particulate in an indoor space is higher. So if I'm saying that I'm sitting in this room and I have like around 200 microgram per meter cube, I am at a higher risk of getting COVID if I have anyone around me. So the COVID does not, the virus did not travel on its own. It attached itself to the, any of the nearby particles and it travels. So if the concentration of that particle in any indoor environment is high, we will have to be, you know. So that is when this research came out. That is when the pe- when people started in, uh, valuing indoor air quality more. We were talking about air quality exchange rate. We were talking about uh, fresh air in indoor microenvironments. That is when the processed air, then we realized that, you know, we what air we are sitting in into our offices could be processed air. There is a very small uh, percentage of fresh air into that air. So these questions started coming up, how well, you know, uh, the air conditioners are maintained or um, the filters are cleaned so that, you know, we are uh, improving that uh, transference of any kind of virus or bacterial diseases. So that is when, you know, indoor air quality did gain resilience. Before that, bioaerosols was less talked about. In fact, the study that I'm mentioning where we, in October, we did it, uh, we could not, we had proposed bioaerosol monitoring also, but it is slightly uh, complex. So we didn't go for it. Had we had any inkling of, you know, something like that happened, it would have been really interesting to see bioaerosol concentration before and after COVID in those environments that I'm talking about. Yeah, I think I think everybody's got a much more acute interest in bioaerosols <laughs> from five yes. from five years ago. That's that's for certain yes. sure. True. How, how did you True. find yourself in this field, Priyanka? What was your kind of journey? Because um, you, you were you studied in Italy at one point as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did my postdoc from Italy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, I I was doing my master's research and it's very intriguing. And my supervisor asked me, you know, I went with a proposal on outdoor air pollution and uh, she said, why don't you, and this is way back, 1999 I'm talking of. 
so uh, people were aware of air pollution but she said why don't you work on indoor air pollution and i was like is it a subject is it a topic that we are talking of so uh, then i went to the net and us epa websites and took out a lot of data and understood so that mo- uh, that was my first uh, face to face with this topic which i am you know last so many years i am being with then there i got a research paper of professor mukesh khare he is my supervisor my phd supervisor from iit delhi so i came here with nothing just my master's research and i said sir i want to do work and i i have to work on this he is uh, there with him i started lot of uh, work on slums uh, indoor air quality in different socio economic strata and that is how he's the pioneer of indoor air pollution in india he started the first of its kind study uh, in iit delhi library wherein the students had started complaining of certain symptoms which were very uh, non specific they started complaining you know ki i'm i'm feeling very dizzy i'm feeling headache and i, I when i'm inside the library i do, i'm not able to concentrate well for other reasons as well but uh, yes uh, that that uh, preempted professor khare to start a thesis on why is it happening and that is when we came aboard with sick building syndrome symptoms the problem with the air handling unit in the library and that is how my journey started and then i went to italy university of milan and uh, professor paolo carrer he was working on health vent so that is a european union project uh, on health and ventilation and i jumped the wagon and uh, again i worked there for a good amount of time so i the takeaways from that experiences i think in india i would want a similar study there they have different study uh, there are different um, countries coming together yes they are smaller countries i understand that but they plan a big cohort a larger study so in india if you talk to me about the future we are having these studies researches which are happening no doubt the frequency the intensity everything has increased but it would be really great to have a bigger cohort in india happening wherein we have at least 60 70 100 cities wherein we monitor these public uh, places and come up with a data which can infer certain guidelines or uh, for setting these standards in indoor air quality And, so and you're, that is what we are working. That's what you're working on. And so you're now an assistant professor in Delhi. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And tell me about the Society of the Indoor Environment or the Society for Indoor Environment. That's uh, is that relatively new? Yes, it is seven years old now. Uh, it is a gamut of researchers, academicians who have come together. who have been working for last 20 years almost more than two decades in this area and we are working towards building up of uh, guidelines for indoor air quality in india and the idea is that since it is a problem we know we have to understand and uh, convey it to the policy makers and the uh, people that it causes harm to your health it causes harm to your productivity 
and it needs to be addressed so uh, this is a very very active we have you know epidemiologists we have microbiologists professors we have uh, people who have been uh, professors and then uh, become uh, join the industry but they are all linked through their research on indoor air quality so uh, this is a beautiful group of people who are without any profit making without any uh, intention of earning something they are just following their passion for indoor air quality research in india and um is it is it located in a particular area or does it cover quite a large part of it is india? it is across india oh, we have various chapters across india and uh, mostly it is academic in nature so uh, we have people at it delhi it madras it bombay uh, we have people in uh, national in, in uh, environmental engineering research institute who are there with us nit barangal so mostly academicians and researchers it is based on very heavily based on researchers and i also see the the um the indian chapter of ashray is very active as well isn't yes. it that seems yes. like a, it's really doing some good work good work there yeah. yeah they uh ashray is ashray is a very old organization i remember when i started my research they were still you know there ashray uh, is working a lot how si is different from ashray would be ashray is working towards urban built environment they are mostly working on the standards and codes only we are trying to uh, see it from the people's perspective in terms of community perspective a uh, citizen uh, perspective so we are not just uh, looking at codes and standards for indoor air quality in india we are also building capacity we are conducting training programs we are having events we had a very uh, good two international conferences we organized uh, asian conference on indoor environmental quality in 2019 and 23 recently also we are uh, organizing a conclave so the idea is to bring everyone whether it is ashray industry academia everyone who's interested in or wanting to work towards these setting up of guidelines that is the need of the r because till the time we don't have guidelines uh, there is no way of reference to what is okay for us and what is not okay for us yeah so that is what we are looking at i get the sense that india is a very exciting place to be involved in air quality at the moment and the built environment yes. you know there's a yes. there's a huge hunger to improve things that there's uh, lots of low hanging fruit that you can make a big difference quickly if you get it right um every time i speak to people from that region there there seems to be a, a real drive and a hunger to to make a difference yes is that is that a fair yes. assessment it is a very fair assessment and uh, believe me when i look at it and when i see on the linkedin my students some of my students or uh, my fellow researchers they are involved in finding solutions in terms of a process or a product that doesn't matter but they are looking at how we can and a lot of innovations have come up lot of innovation especially during the covid time when the world world was grappling with the covid we uh, i think the entrepreneurs in india were budding with ideas and many of them have been really successful 
so uh, i am it's a very good time for india and i look forward to india actually making a difference when we are talking about air quality we india will not see it as a problem it will make sure that we have a solution to this problem did you see any um risks being created when that innovation was happening uh, particularly we saw with things like air cleaners a, a lot of reaching for solutions and innovation and not only to solve problems but more often than not it seemed to just differentiate yourself from somebody else making something very similar there were all sorts of flavors if you like of air cleaning technology hitting the markets some more proved than others was that reflected in india as well that that mad scrabble to try and come up with products that would fix the problem it started happening simon in 2016 okay. after 2016 when i said that we had that smog episode in delhi suddenly everybody was concerned we need to buy a purifier everybody had a purifier what technology what it does do you need it you don't need it nobody talked about but it is winters and uh, we are seeing pollution so we need a purifier having said that it is not i am not against having air purifiers only thing is you should always identify the need for it either you are living in an environment where there is a marked difference between indoors and outdoors so we are not if you are at a place where you are for at 5 microgram per meter cube and suddenly you're moving to a you know 150 microgram meter cube i'm yet to you know that again is a research question what will it do do to a human body so um i would say that i'm i have a very orthodox view on this i would prefer if somebody is not diseased somebody is not aged some uh, a child is not very uh, a young child you know newborn they may need it but if you are supposed to move out in an environment which is much more higher in concentration of what you are keeping yourself into your body will surely react in a manner which will hamper or trouble your immunity for sure so uh, i will not say that purifiers should not be used yes they should be used but uh, specifically try to use them for people who need it we really need to identify who needs it and then give it to them not stay in a silo and stay in a room which is 0 microgram per meter cube and not get out of the room that is not practically possible you will have to get out somewhere some workplace some other place the moment what happens what i with my personal experiences have noticed is that if you keep yourself in a very sterile uh, environment and then you are exposed to uh, normal levels of pollution also you tend to fall sick more often that's a really interesting idea that so to tease that out a little bit your your senses uh, or at least your senses there's an impact in significant changes of exposure as much as the chronic exposure risk so that there's a there's potentially a balance to be found between go you know going into a highly sterile work environment for 8 hours of the day and then coming out yes. into a a much more polluted environment there may be some hmm. physiological or 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 epidemiological impacts on your health from that which we have 
longer duration which will be will take a longer time to understand yeah but having said that your body does has this habit of developing resilience and uh, i feel if i am outside for 8 10 hours in a environment which is 100 microgram per meter cube and i am then in 8 hours in zero it will have an impact it has had shown some impacts i've tried that also yeah so it has uh, impacted me in a, I, i one very uh, personal incident that i would say my daughter was 3 when i took her to italy and we came back when she was 5 so um she was a perfectly healthy child had no uh, problems respiratory issues the moment we brought her back to india she had uh, extreme bouts of uh, wheezing and problems related to it and uh, they were recurring so the doctor uh, and that was the time when i had finished my phd so i tried to apply the practical knowledge that i gained during my doctoral research and removed more uh, the carpets from the house and believe me all uh, the episodes came down drastically there was a lot of resistance from home obviously you cannot take off every every piece of uh, furniture and uh, carpets from your home but yes having said that the reason being india is a tropical country we are staying uh, it is warm and it, it is a good breeding ground for molds and allergens carpets tend to absorb any kind of moisture or liquid and becomes a very important because vacuuming in india is not very common we tend to broom the general practice of brooming is followed in india and that uh, now vacuum is becoming a practice in uh, most of the households but back then it was not so every time you broom you tend to put certain particles again they uh, get settled on the carpet uh, carpet wool and with certain moisture it is absorbed in the carpet that becomes a breeding ground for a lot of allergens and that is what i had you know understood and tried to apply and it worked so that is the reason that i am uh, i have that kind of thought process that you know we can uh, if i am sick <coughs> i'll try to cure myself not uh, close myself into um, a room but yes if i if i'm someone who's just a newborn or someone who has already pre existing health conditions wherein uh, the normal respiration is a problem yes the purifiers are required i think i think that's a really fascinating area to tea i have to say i'm conflicted um i i think on one hand i can i can mentally understand that that shocks to the system um you'll have a physiological reaction to that so if you're going from extremes to extremes your your body will react and we know that with air quality we're very poor at sensing a, a slow deterioration of air quality around us but if we walk into an environment that's significantly poorer we'll know we it feels like we're walking into a poor air quality so uh, i think the human response to to a change in environmental condition can be quite strong and quite physiological there's a, a an impact on you um so I, i walk into many homes that are suffering with condensation damp and mold and 
you feel ill by the time you're leaving like you know that that difference in air quality is quite impactful yet people are living in that environment chronically for long periods of time um and don't feel that same physiological response but i but of course and i said this to pavel gotchki a few weeks ago on the podcast that there's this resilience conversation that's happening at the moment you were talking about it earlier with thermal comfort that we we build up tolerance and resilience and that's a healthy human reaction but there are some pollutants that you can't build a resilience or a tolerance to they're just carcinogenic or bad for you toxicologically right right so on one hand i and this is why i'm conflicted i i can i can see that there's a physiological response to changes in conditions but equally, those more sterile environments or clean environments, although your response stepping out of them might be poor, that you could see them as safe havens. You could see them as respite or periods of time where you're not exposed to pollutants that are causing you harm long term. So it's an interesting one. I, I wonder if there's a balance there somewhere that, that there's a, an acute impact of moving from diff- different environments to different environments, but ultimately chronically over your lifetime, if we're talking Dalis, that the more time you can spend in those pollutant-free environments, will that be long-term See, better for you? Or long-term, yeah. is it gonna? Is there some negative impacts to that? It's a really interesting that is, one. That is why I said that we need cohorts. Yeah. We need cohorts to establish this. Because uh, the idea is, I understand the the research iq research has to be about uh, identifying the right sources so if i am in my room let's say uh, people in india are buying purifiers for pm10 and 2.5 mostly they cater to the filtration uh, technology or electrostatic precipitation uh, but that is mostly catering to pm10 2.5 now let's assume that i have um, I have some allergies to the mold? Okay, there is some seepage in my house, and there is some allergy. Uh, the fungi is growing, or molds are growing, and there is some allergy. Do you think that that purifier is capable of handling the biorisols as well? That is. These are certain queries or there are certain levels of benzene which are high in my microenvironment. But that purifier is not equipped to deal with it or remove it or take charge of it. The first step should be the source apportionment of that particular microenvironment. For example, we are talking about my uh, our houses. That is where we spend most of the time or our workplace. If we can identify the sources if we can actually identify what could be the probable sources and how much percentage of, uh, you know, dose a person takes in uh, from uh, those sources, it would help us doing the risk, uh, do the risk assessment for those particular indoor air quality. We just cannot go in haywire that, you know, I have put a purifier for PM10 2.5 
and uh, now it will treat me for even VOCs. It will also treat Pro- me problem for, solved. Uh, yes, yeah, indeed. Yes, and I think that was the re- really good work that Ben Jones and Max Sherman were doing around harm intensities and DALIs, saying you know what what pollutants do we find in in homes in their particular study, exactly. and what harm do those pollutants cause, and what does what's the total harm look like? What does the impact on health? Exactly. Because in in the homes in their study. Um, predominantly North American and European homes, um, it was, you know, there were 33% of the pollutants was ethanol. Um, but it's, it's relatively benign compared to something like formaldehyde or particulate matter. Sure. So even if there's quite a lot of something, it might not mean it's doing you as much harm as the, lit- the, the small amount of something that's in the environment. So it, it, is, is, it is a complex mix. You're absolutely right. It's a complex yes. So we need to we need to identify the sources. We really need to understand what could be the possible sources. How much are they contributing to the indoor air? Is it that they can hang on to the particles? Then probably they become more harmful. That is that is something which really needs to be very intriguing. It's very intriguing, and it should really be researched more. Now you you touched on something, uh, Priyanka, that I. Uh, I made a note and I really wanted to come back to, and that was mold. Um, hmm. Large parts of India are in the tropics. Uh, and the, the, yeah. when you're in this part of the Northern hemisphere, we tend to see condensation as, and mold as a uniquely cold, wet climate problem. And it really isn't, you know, and um, mm-hmm. it, if you're in the tropics, it's, I mean, it's completely the opposite building physics going on often. But nonetheless, it still presents a really significant challenge, particularly to certain building types and environments. It, how big a problem is things like condensation and mold in in areas like Delhi, for example? Is it is it a, is it a hot summer problem mostly, or is it that is it a winter driven problem? I'm guessing summer, where you've got high levels of humidity and lots of air conditioning going on. I'll I'll give you an example also after this, but uh, it's mostly, we have summers. Summers in India are from May, June, and a bit of July. And then it is just followed by the monsoon. So that is the time. Summers are good. It's so terribly hot that even I don't think molds can survive. (laughs) But uh, that period of uh, July and August, Mm, that is when the things start moving. So what happens is um, the buildings uh, buildings develop certain kind of seepage and it is very common in India to have it, very common. And uh, a small patch, probably a pipe leakage or duct leakage, anything. And um, it is left open. You know, there is a seepage, you see a wet patch and uh, after some time, you will not start no- noticing some black patch. And then, then that black patch goes into green. So it is normal for us to see. Even specifically in the basements of the uh, places that we also live in, it is a common uh, thing to see. Having said that, because the climate is such here that, you know, um, we are in air-conditioned rooms. Uh, there is ample moisture during certain times of the year, which is a excellent uh, breeding ground for these 
uh, moles and allergies to happen. And that is the reason that the moment they become green and black, they become airborne. So, uh, we don't take it very seriously because it is all there. It is, you know, we are used to it or probably our noses and, and our systems are used to it. But having, uh, not it's not a joke, but uh, it is a problem. And that is the reason when I said that we wanted to do bioaerosol monitoring, but we did not do it because the analysis, the monitoring is very complex. Yeah, isn't it? You, we have a lot of sites. Uh, one of the examples that I wanted to give you in that study that we did in the pre-COVID time, a lot of schools, uh, they there were some under construction schools, some area in the school which was undergoing construction. There were a lot of areas which had seepage. Uh, there were uh, colleges which had some work going on or there is some leakage going on in the lab and the air conditioner duct had leaked. So these kind of things do happen regularly. But um, somehow we tend to not take it seriously before COVID. After COVID, people have realized that yes, biorosols uh, are the next thing that we need to look at. Allergies in India are very common and probably we genetically are very blessed. We overcome that very easily. Somehow, probably that is what the resilience that I was talking about. We will have, we'll be coughing and wheezing for probably two, three days and then we'll be fine uh, after a couple of medicines. So, uh, but having said that, uh, the identifying these spots in public places is very common. Yeah, it's very common. And it's one, I mean, there are, there are several drivers for, for, mold obviously in dwellings and one of them is physical water so i'm i'm guessing the monsoon rep a season represents a very particular challenge but just because of the volume of water that's landing on buildings it will if there are leaks or gutters that aren't working or drainage systems that aren't performing it will find those weaknesses and you you will it, True. I imagine you, if you live in a home every monsoon season, you know where it's going to be coming in. It's the same every year. It's that kind of, the, here we go again. Um, yeah. So there's that challenge, which is really down to kind of fabric maintenance and systems maintenance and, you know, improving the buildings to prevent moisture ingress um, or moisture production from systems within the building. But increasingly we're seeing in the tropics in the in the more intensely air conditioned spaces uh, condensation driven by big vapor pressure differentials between inside and out so those that don't know what that means right. where you have environments where you have high vapor loading so in the tropics in the monsoon season very high levels of vapor loading outside the building and if you air condition the space aggressively inside you end up with a very dry space and yes. the, the yes. building physics that come into play are very strong. So you get a lot of interstitial really? condensation, a lot of moisture being driven through the fabric. And we have the opposite here. So we, we would have the opposite in the cold climates, a very moisture-loaded, mm -hmm. warm internal air in winter and very dry, cold air outside. And the same kind of impact right. happening. But, I, but ironically, what people I don't think grasp is that when you air condition a space, aggressively inside you reduce the surface temperatures 
and you can bring them into dew points through air conditioning. So any moisture that's ingressing from outside is hitting those cold surfaces and condensating. Um, So there's a lot of really complex building physics going on in the tropics. Uh, And I've had many conversations, whether it's Australia in mining camps or Florida in in Key West homes, timber frame type homes, uh, anywhere where there's massive differences in moisture between inside and outside. It's a really specific engineering challenge. And in India only, I would say, Simon, there is a lot of variations. Yeah. This is why I'm talking of Delhi, right? If you're talking about Mumbai, it rains cats and dogs when it rains in Mumbai. And it is a coastal city. So the level of moisture is anyways very high. Yeah. So uh, for every a particular city in South India, in Northern India. So I, uh, when we talk about having certain interim guidelines, where we get stuck is, how do you put every kind of variation under one umbrella? If I am talking about um, Northern India, so probably Northern India, if I'm talking Jammu Kashmir, that is very cold, so more close to Ireland probably. Then uh, we go to the West West is Gujarat. Gujarat is quite dry. It it does not have a lot of uh, uh, cold and it is quite a dry state. Uh, And East is very cold or it has a lot of uh, rainfall. The maximum rainfall is in East. South has a different topography, meteorology. So um, when we are talking about these uh, comfort parameters, as we call it, it is very difficult to actually put them all together and say that India has this kind of climate. Yeah. India does not have one kind of climate. It cannot have. So we are, we are anyways, even when we start for our city's work also, the monitoring, we divide the city into five parts. We tend to, you know, as researchers, it is imbibed in us that we tend to divide the city into five parts. Northern India, southern, uh, northern Delhi, Southern Delhi, East Delhi, West Delhi and Centre Delhi. So, so yeah. that is, uh, we, we have understood that we, everything cannot fall under the same roof. It, it goes to what we were saying at the beginning, you know, like we, 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 we're talking about India here just because I think it's interesting for listeners outside of India to have a good understanding of the general context mm. But it's the same. It's True. the same as talking to my colleagues in North America. We talk about the American context in general, but there's a huge difference right. between Vermont and Florida Keys. Yes. You know, so yes. particularly in large land masses, it, it it's very regionalized, uh, and therefore you need very, very specific state or area guidance and standards to deal with that you just it's whereas if you're a small country like ireland or even the uk um the the difference in weather between regions is you know we would argue it's much rainier in cork than it is in dublin for example but like on the on the grand scheme of things we're a small little island off the atlantic it's pretty much the same you know even in france you know they pretty much divide the country up into six regions because the the weather in Brittany is going to be significantly different to the weather in nice on the mediterranean um so we we have to take account of that obviously exactly yeah you did some interesting work around um pm 2.5 and co2 exposure in offices didn't you in in delhi 
Yeah. Was that was that pre or right. post COVID? It was pre. Okay. Uh, one was pre COVID, and the other was we had both. Okay. One uh, was pre COVID, and one uh, this the one that we are talking is pre COVID. So uh, we tried to understand PM two point five and CO two. Uh, the findings of the study was that uh, office spaces specifically, we don't tend to uh, fill the office spaces according to the ventilation rates. We uh, don't use that as a parameter that uh, 10 CFM is for one person and then we should go accordingly. So the thing that we noticed was that probably in a space where 10 people should be sitting, it is already 15 who are sitting, who are seated. So the levels uh, showed that it is CO2 has risen. PM 2.5, however, was more related to the location, geographic location of the offices. So if the office is in an area which is highly congested or which is high vehicular traffic around, or uh, it is it is near a marketplace, the concentrations were more or less found to be because of the location of that place. CO2, yes, number of people. We don't, uh, you know, even in the houses, probably if we have 15, 20 guests, we'll be all chucked up into one room. We'll not even realize that, you know, somebody is, after some time you realize that you stop breathing. So then we realize something is a problem. Let's open the doors and windows. That's how it works out. So uh, offices, post-COVID when I did it for PM 2.5, the only difference that I noticed was that the offices were more uh, aware. The building owners were more aware and they had certain certain principles in place as in what is the air exchange rate that should be maintained? How much is the CO2 levels in this particular area they were ready you know they they were willing to monitor get their offices monitored earlier uh, what we faced a problem was and that is why i say that awareness is an important issue the cinema halls uh, the restaurant owners they were very susceptible very apprehensive to let us monitor those places they they felt everybody knows air pollution they felt that they will be you no know, brand shamed or uh, uh, and uh, this is after when we told them that this data will not be divulged and it will be confidential, everything. But then uh, we realized that they really need to understand why we are doing this. Why is where we have stuck? So they didn't let us take the monitor inside uh, the cinema hall, inside the restaurant. And we half of the uh, cinema, we went for a movie, we, we put it in a purse. We tried to do that, but it didn't result in something specific. So I think uh, we need to uh, build capacity amongst building owners also. The people who own these places, that it is okay for us to monitor uh, indoor air quality and it is not for certain harm rather we can incentivize it you know like uh, ITC hotel in Delhi or other hotels they have used it as a as a thing to showcase that our hotel has a good indoor air the challenge I think with business is framing a business case for 
people to want to care about air quality and absenteeism, performance, attracting customers, retention of staff, whatever the right. whatever the drivers might be. But there's always that, this battle between that and the risk or the potential stick element of this where businesses may feel they may be highlighted or penalized or it may have a commercial impact right. if it's seen that they have poor air quality. Um, and, yes. and on one hand, I think that penalty is important if you want to drive change through regulations, if you want to force people slowly to improve incrementally. But it is a double-edged sword and it does create resistance. And I've had many conversations, particularly with smaller business owners who quite frankly are struggling to afford to survive anyway. And the, the risk of identifying poor performance of air quality might open them up to a cost they don't want. Uh, and right. I think you're always dealing with that. What do you, um, yeah. do you see um, many of these new building standards starting to get a hold, particularly in the workplace sector? I'm thinking of things like well standards, reset standards, lead, lead mm. um, those kind of things. Uh, because you can't be what you can't see. And I think the, one of the advantage of the pioneering buildings, although it's out of reach for a lot of buildings, it shows what can be done and it sets a benchmark okay. to say, this is what good air quality can look like. This is what a good environment can be. Um, are you starting right. to see that hit the ground in cities like Delhi, those kind of standards? Right. Green buildings are a welcome change in India, yes. Yes, because now people are aware, they know what is lead platinum, they know what are the advantages if I go for this kind of rating. Uh, but again, as I would say, it is still niche. I I would consider it, uh, if it is across colleges, across schools, across other buildings, that is when I would say that it is a very sustainable way of uh, uh, taking these ratings further. Having said that, these ratings, they put a certain number of points for uh, indoor environmental quality. These are overall ratings that we are talking about. So we really need to emphasize that indoor environmental quality for any new building or in retrospect has to be important, pertinent. Like IGBC has some nine uh, rankings. So I'm very much in for this kind of standards because at least people are showing, uh, taking a step forward for sustainable urban built environment. But having said that, yes, more emphasis needs to be put on indoor environmental quality. There are offices which, where, you know, uh, my husband goes to the office and he says, I was feeling very cold today. I don't know what temperature they had put the, the thermostat to and uh, I was, you know, very cold. So we really need to take all these aspects seriously in terms of the productivity as well as the health of the employees and the people who are occupying that. So it is not just about the certification. It is about monitoring and following it up for all the various levels. Like when we talk about indoor environmental quality, we are not just talking about air. We are talking about lighting. We are talking about acoustics. We are talking about thermal comfort. So everything, once uh, we take all the four quadrants into picture, I think that is when I would say that, yes, uh, any kind of standard is a success. So taking everything that we've kind of 
discussed today, Priyanka. Um, if you were writing the rule book, if you were in charge, right, today I, I said, right, Priyanka, now you're in charge, you're making the rules. What would a good yeah. roadmap look like uh, for the residential sector, say, over the next five or 10 years? What, what, what are the things that you would like to see changed? Um, let's just say in Delhi to keep it focused in, on your area. Um, what right. would you like to, where does the work need to be focused over the next five or 10 years if you were going to see some improvements in the residential indoor environment? So if I'm talking about residential indoor environment, I would like to have more emphasis on bioaerosols. Really, that is an area where we need more research to understand the dynamics of bioaerosols within different uh, uh, socioeconomic strata, different types of buildings that we have, because there is a lot of variation in terms of uh, buildings that we are talking about. Secondly, I, if you give me the rule uh, book, I would not want to constrain myself to Delhi. I would want to have more cities from Northern India develop a uh, cohort, have the same methodology to monitor uh, if it is residential spaces. Yeah, residential spaces to come up with a sufficient database for certain aspects which we can put it up as guidelines because these uh, researchers are good in silos but we are not able to infer anything out of them if we are not having a common uh, the way we have it in Europe like I work on Healthwind or Envy or there are a lot of projects that they do Six City project and other projects so something of that sort if we can have it for India that's that's interesting. Wherein we have a bigger cohort. Do, do you yeah. think bigger cohort? Do you think something like an indoor air quality observatory? Um, Fr yes. France did yes. that beautifully for many years. I know the UK is looking yes. to try and do something similar, something central right. to pull together the research, pull together the data, be a, 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 exactly. a central repository for knowledge, so that you can start to make. Yeah. Um, so we can identify yeah. what are the sources. Probably we are so variant in terms of variance. We have a lot of diversity. Let's identify what the diversity is about. Let's identify what uh, probably what's the problem because now we are generalizing. We are we we tend to take the outdoor thing and we generalize. We need to understand these cohorts will probably give us a data which will help us identify at least three to four priority pollutants to finally see how it can be worked out whether it is because of the building materials that is being used or is it is because the adhesive which are being used or is it is because of um, furnishings which generally go into play we have no idea yeah so a bigger cohort will actually now we have come uh, come up with a lot of paints which are no voc paints so uh, does it matter does it work is it, are people going for it? How many are going for it? If they are going for it, what is the level of TVOC in a uh, in a house which was painted three years ago? Yeah. Every year, if I, can, I, I have a data, is it the uh, concentrations are rising or decreasing? So there are a lot of research questions that we can throw, but yes, a bigger cohort. 
bigger, bigger goal. And, and taking your academic hat off for a minute and putting your lawmaker hat on or your, or your social science hat on, is there an action that that, yeah. that could happen in the residential environment that you would like to see in the next five to a change in behaviour, a change in a change in a building standard, something that would create a, a decent outcome for people from an air quality perspective? What could what could be put I in place? I think community engagement. Okay, community engagement, some trainings, some community programs, awareness. Where people, uh, you know, I mentioned to you about that incident where a lady was burning, she was expecting and she was burning camphor all throughout in her life. And this is, we are all uh, educated. We are all educated. We, we, we are, I'm not pointing it from that perspective. But yes, awareness as to uh, how, what should be done and what not to be done. If we can start creating that awareness in people through people, it would have a better, bigger impact. So uh, it would surely create ripples. And that is what I'm looking at. Because one person, one organization, one government, it will not work like that. It is our uh, problem. We have to find the solution. But we first need to identify that it is our problem. So that is to be uh, has to be through uh, citizen-centric approach and community engagement. So that is what I would look at. That's brilliant. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, Priyanka, so mu- thanks so much for your time today. It's been brilliant talking My pleasure, to you. Simon. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to have a chat with me. Same here.